0: You may have noticed uh, things are a little different in your bulletin.
1: I did not give you guys an outline this week. You know, it just it's different. We're doing fill-in-the-blanks today. So I'm going to do my best to make sure I hit all my fill-in-the-blank targets. If I miss one, wave your arms frantically and just say, like, wait, you missed a blank. So we're going to start with our first one, which is kind of our thesis statement for the day. We're talking about peace. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about worry. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. Let's start with that. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. What do I mean by that? When we think about world peace, when we think about the Treaty of Versailles after World War II, we think, oh yeah, that's the absence of conflict. That is the ending of a period of time that there was conflict. And we've all been through seasons like this. You've had conflict in your marriage, you've had conflict with a roommate, you've had conflict with someone at work, and when you finally get to that place where you got through the conflict, whether it was resolved, or whether that person moved on, or you moved on, or something changed, you go, oh, isn't that nice? And we're coming up to the holidays, which is a season when a lot of people do experience conflict because it's our families, because there are people in our families, and because as long as there are people in families, there will be conflict. But peace is not merely the absence of conflict. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, as Ryan mentioned, this is kind of the end of a very big chapter in ministry. And he's not just saying to the disciples, don't worry, I told you I'll be leaving, it's fine, it's not a big deal. He's calling them to something deeper. He's calling them to a deeper place of peace. And in our day, we all need to be called to this deeper place of peace. And it is in knowing the person of Jesus that we get to experience that. It's not, as we've talked about in all the weeks of this sermon series, Jesus is not a bunch of axioms. He's not a bundle of truths. That's probably not uncommon to those of us in the room. But for our neighbors and our friends who are far from God, who are skeptical, they probably do think of Jesus as this idea, this concept. And one of the things we can offer to our anxious and hurting world and into the anxious places in our own hearts is this connection to a real-time, real-life conversation with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about uh, places of anxiety. We're going to watch uh, a video, actually, that features Kristen, our children's director. She uh, was invited to tell part of her story around anxiety and depression as part of this series. And I just want to say at the top... There is really important stuff happening in the psychiatric community and the counseling community around the clinical diagnoses of anxiety and depression. That's a real thing. And if you leave today and you hear me say, well, my pastor said, I just got to pray more and then I'll get through my anxiety and my depression. If you hear me say that, you weren't listening. These are bigger things and there is very important work being done in the medical community to address those concerns. But we would be shortchanging our own ability to care for ourselves and to follow Jesus Christ if we don't also say and there's a spiritual component too. There is a spiritual component to the anxiety that we feel. There is a spiritual component to those times in our lives when we've gone through periods of depression. My the definition of anxiety that I find to be most helpful and you can just this isn't a fill in the blank. This is just a free one. It's fear that gets put on repeat. It's fear that you come back to over and over and over again. And so just to kind of let you guys in, since we're closing up our time here at Peter Kirk, this has often been a place of anxiety for me. This has been a place where I've experienced fear put on repeat. Now let me just say this: I'm really grateful for Peter Kirk. Uh, I, this has been a wonderful home for us. Our relationship with the city who owns this building, it has been spectacular. This has been a really wonderful place. And if you've visited other churches that meet in a mobile context, meaning you pull out all your stuff, you set up all the chairs, and you've got to make it look like you were never there, this is a remarkably good place to try to do church. Like, I have friends that pastor churches that meet in schools and, you know, next door at K-Tub. There's a lot rougher places to do church. This is a really good place to do it. That being said, when I first got here in 2015, I had no experience as a lead pastor I had no experience as a pastor in a non-denominational setting. I'd always been part of the Presbyterian Church. And I had no experience in a mobile church. Those three things created such a wave of anxiety for me when I would come here on Sundays. And if you're sitting there going like, I had no idea that's what you were going through. There you go. That, that's, that's kind of adulthood at times. That's leadership too, where you go like, you know... I'm not going to burden people with stuff that I'm going through right now. I have people that I'm letting into this place. I'm not hiding this. But I'm not here to kind of overtly burden anyone with any of these things that I'm going through. So it was hard to come here and go like, what are we missing? What's going on? And if I drill down a little bit on that in my own heart, it's tied to a value I have for responsibility, which I would call my most hated value. Like, because I'm a firstborn kid and I want to get stuff done right. I want to do it the right way. To the end of, I want to be a good steward of the leadership that's been entrusted to me. And so when you do mobile church, mobile church is like trying to throw a party on a deserted island. If you forget something, if you don't have the cups and the tiki torches and the tablecloth, you can run to QFC, but it's, it's not going to work. And it's hard. And there are many of you in this room who have served faithfully week in and week out to make our little party on a deserted island work. And I'm really thankful. But make no mistake, it has been a place of anxiety for me to try to navigate all the different things that need to happen, all the different things that need to be lined up to try to make this work. And I haven't done it by myself by any means. We've had an amazing team behind this. But I share that as we wrap up our time at Peter Kirk to kind of say, those have been places of anxiety for me. And it doesn't feel like that anymore here by the grace of God. It's kind of ironic. One of the things I'll grieve when we leave Peter Kirk is we kind of know what we're doing here. Like, I'll miss that. I'll miss that expectation of like, oh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we know where the chairs go, and we know where this happens, and we know where that happens. That all changes, and we know this. All change is experienced as loss. We grieve change, do we not? Because we've left behind that which is familiar, and we are moving toward that which is unknown. It might be better. I certainly think moving to Inglewood Press is going to be better, and we stand more to gain than we stand to lose. But, man, change is hard. And you may be thinking right now of a place in your life where you're experiencing change. Or you may be thinking, like I am, of the holidays as a place where you're going, well, there are some people here that I loved a lot, and they're not here this year. You may be thinking of some place of anxiety in your own life. Remember, a fear that gets put on repeat, a fear for your children, a fear for the job that you worked really hard to land a fear for the home that you're so happy that you got, but man, it's turned out to be so much work, and, and how do we do this? And it's just endless. We live in a day, make no mistake, where there's a lot of anxiety. There is. And I think some of that is kind of a, a, a demon of our own making. I also think some of it's just our day. We just live in a day when there's so many choices and options presented to us, we all kind of go into the shutdown mode. But what I want to offer is an encouragement from the text That there is a pathway through this. And again, I'm not belittling anxiety as it really happens or depression or any of these things. What I'm saying is, there is a pathway for us no matter how we encounter this feeling of being anxious. And make no mistake, Jesus Christ knows that pathway and he walks with us through it. So turn with me in your scriptures to John 14. We're going to spend most of our time there. To give you a little bit of context, this is a moment when the disciples are carrying a burden. Jesus has already told them that he's leaving. He's told them multiple times, but like is often the case with the disciples, he tells them, and he tells them what he told them, and then he tells them what he told them he told them, and it's just, it's not sticking. It's not connecting. Like, I just think of this like parenting. He has been doing this messaging to them over and over again, that I'm leaving, and in the midst of that, they get distracted. They go, oh, great, Jesus, you just fed the 5,000. Isn't that wonderful? Oh yeah, he said he was leaving. But still, he fed 5,000 people. That's incredible. He's been healing people. Right before this passage, he washes their feet. He shows them servant leadership in my kingdom looks like this. I'm washing your feet. I am taking on the position of a servant. And the disciples are excited about this. They are fired up. They are bought in. This is my tribe. This is my team. We are doing this. And then Jesus comes to them right before our passage and he says, I'm out. I'm going back to the Father. And we all know this feeling. You remember when you were in school and you finally found your best friend and then your best friend said, my dad got a new job, we gotta go. Do you remember, uh, maybe this was just a job early in your career, you worked for a boss you just loved, like she was outstanding. She remembered your birthday and she cared for you and she helped equip you to succeed and because she was so doggone good at her job, she got promoted and she worked in a different building and you never saw her. Or you had a neighbor that you could always count on for that that cup of sugar or the stick of butter. You didn't want to run to the store. You went and saw them and said, and now they're gone. All change is loss. We grieve. And the disciples are starting to grieve a little bit to the extent that they get it. And Jesus knows this because he's a human being. He understands feelings. He's not standing at it from a distance. He's experiencing it with them. And just like a parent would do with a kid that's about to face something really hard, he looks at the disciples and he says, let, let, me, let me help you out. Let me give you a little bit of comfort here. He speaks to them. And I picture him speaking these words so gently, so lovingly. I know what you're facing. I get it and it will be all right. I'll read uh, John 14 verses three through seven. Actually, I'll back it up a little bit. The slide will be three through seven. Jesus said, this is in verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and I'll go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Here's your next fill in the blank. I am the way and the truth and the life. Who says that? Would you just say that with me? I am the way and the truth and the life. Who can make that claim? Who could possibly say, you don't need a roadmap, you don't need a strategic plan, you just need me because I am the way. Who can say the things that I will tell you are universally true? Who can say, life from the way God intended it, it will flow out of me and into you. No one can say that. No one can be a subject matter expert in those three areas of life except Jesus Christ. It is incredible that he would make this claim. And he meant it. And I love that he doesn't give the disciples this detailed roadmap for their steps to become the church. He gives what all people actually need, which is himself. He says, I know you're going to experience fear. I know it's going to be painful. I know you're going to be persecuted. Here's what you need to come back to. It's me. It's me. So go back to the party on the deserted island. In January of this year, I started to feel this sense of like, I think the party's gone on for long enough. Like, I think God might have more for us. And I didn't necessarily experience it that same way. I'm not saying I had this prophetic moment. I'm just saying, kind of on my own anxiety, kind of on some other stuff, I started to go, I just want to pray that there might be something else. I don't know what. Maybe it's a different time. Maybe it's, it's, it's moving. Maybe we've got to rethink how we do church at Peter Kirk. I don't know. I just, I think there's something more. There's something else. And I'll tell you, once I started to share the, that conversation with our leaders, our staff, our local advisory team members, as Ryan mentioned earlier, it was such a relief to just say to people, like, I think I'm feeling this. I, I, I don't know. Will you pray with me in this? If you've been thinking about a place of anxiety in your life as, as we've been talking, have you invited anyone to help you carry that? Because I'll tell you, starting in January, I started to read Matthew 11 when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I started to read that real different. Because I started to feel this burden, and, and this is, again, this is leadership, but we all face this, whether we would consider ourselves to be leaders or not. There's this place where we are, and it's fine, but there's a place that we need to be. And I, I don't know, how are we are going to get there? I don't know who's going to be a part of that, but I know the people that I want to invite into prayer around this. And I will say, and you guys should be proud of this, the leaders of this church, they prayed. We prayed together daily for what God wanted, and our prayer was not, God fix our problem. It was not, prescribe us this new pathway forward. It was, Jesus, what do you want? What would you have for us? How can we step into your way, since you are the way? So let me just discourage you from being overly prescriptive in your prayers, because to be open to what God wants to do is a powerful thing. Jesus, show us the way you want us to go. That was our prayer, and we would pray that daily. We would have weekly, um, we did the Google Hangouts where you can all kind of do a conference call, and we would pray together, and then in our monthly meetings, we would do a deep dive in prayer. It was powerful to really open that up, and so that's my encouragement. Have you opened up the place of anxiety in your life to someone else, someone you can do it wisely with, someone that that can handle whatever it is that you're saying, and in the midst of that I would ask this too are you being prescriptive to Jesus It's okay to ask Jesus for very specific things like this morning my son had a tummy ache so before I left the house we just prayed we just said God would you please help Will's stomach feel better That's good like, it's good to ask Jesus for specific things. But if all we are asking him for is, God, fix this. I need this to look like this. I need you to make this happen this way. Then our way is becoming the thing that we're hung up on, and we're not open to the ways of God. So let me caution us against being overly prescriptive when we invite people in to pray with us through our anxieties. Play spe- pay special attention... To the places and situations where you might feel most confident. I got this. Don't you think it was tempting for me to kind of go, I know church. It's what I do. I I can pray through this. I can solve this. I can science this. I can figure this out. Every one of us has an area like that. May that become a place this week for you where you go, no, I'm going to turn that upside down. I've been trying to keep my hand on it and control it. I'm going to turn my hand upside down and I'm going to say, God, your way. May your way happen in this area where I feel like I'm an expert. And am I really? May your life flow out through my life. So Jesus leaves uh, the disciples with this amazing gift. He says at the beginning, it comes from the Holy Spirit. We could spend all morning just talking about that alone. But he calls them to something more. And I want to put up on the screen behind us this this translation from the message where Jesus' promise is kind of broken out more succinctly. And I'll read through this for us, and then we'll talk about these lines and how they apply to us. Jesus says, I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned or bereft, so don't be upset and don't be distraught. These are incredible words promised by the Savior. How do we apply them? Let's look at this first one. I'm leaving you well and whole. And underneath this, I'll put in uh, the New Living Translation because it kind of helps, I think, synthesize it a little bit more. Jesus says, I'm leaving you well and whole. Don't we long for that? That, that well and whole is tied to this Hebrew concept of shalom, which is the word that Jesus' people would have used to describe peace. Shalom means not just I feel good about my life or there's an absence of conflict. When you describe shalom in a Hebrew context, it meant peace across your neighborhood. It meant the guy that lives next door to you and the family that's over there and your business and your school. It meant every part of your life experienced something of God's peace and glory and his care. We have such an individualistic notion of peace. This is not that. Jesus says, I will leave you well and whole. We all have people in our lives that need for Jesus to touch them and for them to become well and whole again. If you've walked with someone through the journey of addiction, like many of us have, yes, that addiction needs to be addressed, it needs, they need treatment, they need counseling, all these things, but there's a part of them that needs to be made well and whole that only Jesus Christ can touch. Would you join me this week in praying for people in our lives to experience the well and whole that Jesus longs for them? And I would say, too, get get more specific in your prayers than you might be comfortable with. An example of this in my own life is, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of grief in my life in this last year. Uh, Some of you know this, but I had a friend that I went to seminary with. He actually passed away uh, two weeks ago, uh, ten days ago. So still grieving that, went to his memorial service, just this ongoing thing. And so as I'm praying for that area of grief, praying for my wife's family and their grief, praying for my own family and my grief what I have typically done is I've said, okay, God, I'm going to name each people in each of these little circles, right? And I'm going to say, God, please uh, be the comforter for my mom and my brothers, and please you know, provide peace over here. And it's just kind of this broad you know, one or two sentence thing, and that's fine. And this is just where I'm at. I'm convicted that to pray for wellness and wholeness in someone else's life, i got to get a little bit more granular, And so like for my friend, Randy, who died, I'm praying for his widow. And I'm saying, God, when Lisa wakes up today and Randy's not there, would you comfort her? And as she goes through her house and she sees things that remind her of him, a book that he loved or, you know, his shoes are still over by the door or any of these very recent things in grief, would you meet her in those moments? And I got to tell you, it's a lot more transformative for my heart To pray for someone who is grieving through the specificity that, that, that that allows. And I think that will lead to greater wellness and wholeness. Not because I'm praying in a particular way. I'm not, you know, this isn't like shaking magic pixie dust. This is aligning my heart with the heart of God. Which is one of the most powerful things I think we experience when we pray. So if you have had someone, not if, the person that you know is hurting would you get real specific in your prayer for them this week? Would you get real granular? Use your imagination to pray for them. It's hard. It's costlier than those kind of broad prayers that I was talking about. But if you can picture the details of what they are walking through, I think that helps manifest this this wellness and wholeness, this shalom, this peace of mind and heart that Jesus longs for. And I'll say this before we move on to the next piece peace of mind and heart is not something that you and I can bootstrap ourselves into. And so maybe a takeaway from from just this encouragement from the savior is this, maybe it's time to go see a counselor. Go see a professional, go see someone that can help you with great tools and great learning take steps toward wholeness and healing. I got a wonderful list of counselors that I keep in my hip pocket that I can recommend, I can text it to you. Like It's great to have such wonderful counseling resources on the east side. So if you or someone that you know needs to take that step, I can help. The church can help. Let us be a servant to you in that regard. The second thing, another fill in the blank, here it comes. I do not leave you the way you're used to being left or the New Living Translation. I will give you a gift the world cannot give. I'll give you a gift the world cannot give. And the theme that I would articulate here is surrender. Will you surrender parts of your life, this is specifically in prayer, to the Lord? Because this is not, a gift that the world would give us is, go project manage this, go create a timeline, go do your thing, go solve it, go write it out, go figure it out, all that's fine and good. But the kind of peace that Jesus longs for in our life and in the world around us is specifically a gift the world cannot give. And the world, as far as I know, does not want us to surrender to anything but our whims and our caprices and the way that we can just buy anything. Like That's what the world wants us to surrender to. But what Jesus is calling us to is a gift that comes when we surrender. One of my favorite moments in this whole journey toward moving to Inglewood Press was we had a prayer night in October. So we'd spent the summer trying to tell people about this. Hey, we're thinking about this. Join us in praying about this. Our leaders suggested that in the fall we kind of have like a Okay, we're going to make a decision. Like, this is when it's going to happen. Kind of putting an artificial timeline around it, but this is what we decided to do. And so in October, we had this prayer night, and our theme for the prayer night was surrender. And so we gathered at Englewood Press, and one of the things we invited people to do was not just to surrender this decision to God, but to surrender to God all the things that we are carrying all the burdens that we felt. And a bunch of you were there, and I bet you remember this. We had uh, little stacks of note cards on the chairs in the sanctuary. We had some Sharpie markers. And we just invited people, hey, take a note card, write down a burden that you're carrying. My job, my health, my, my mother, my father, something. Fold it up, and then walk up to the front of the sanctuary at Englewood Press, where there's this beautiful cross. And just lay that burden in a Wicker basket at the at the foot of the cross. Just just put it right there. So I sat in a row where uh, I kind of had the row to myself, and I start writing down my burdens. And then I go, oh, okay, that, I need a few more pieces of paper. Okay, write that out. And then I look at the next seat down. Okay, I need those. And then write that. Okay, I need the. I use the whole row <laughs> of papers, and I wrote these things down and I folded them up. And it's probably one of the holiest moments of my entire year was walking up to that cross in worship with our our church community there and just dropping those note cards into that basket. Every single one, there was a burden that was lifted. Not immediately, not like I walked out of there floating on air, but it just felt like this powerful moment where I said, all these things I've been carrying, all these concerns for myself, for the church, for this move, for this, for that, i got to write them down and i got to put them down. So church, can you do a version of that this week? You don't got to do it like I did it, but can you write it down and can you put it down? Or skip a step, just put it down. Whatever it is. There are parts of our lives that until we think about them as burdens, we'll just keep carrying them. We won't go like, yeah, I need to surrender this. I'll just, we'll just keep going. It's what we know. But would you take time? Would you say like, God, I have tried to carry this. It is not working out for me. Would you carry it? Matthew 11, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's serious. Would you meet him in that and say, yeah, I will give this to you. I'll trust you with this. Final piece, final fill in the blank. Did we get all the fill in the blanks? Are we we batting a thousand? Okay. Final piece, don't be upset, don't be distraught. The way that I try to phrase this positively is, be content in me. Be content in me. Anxiety is real. It chews up our hearts. It chews up our minds. Depression is real. The longing for peace is real. And every one of us, as we try to find our way into the peace that Jesus offers, we'll try to find contentment and so many other things. But Jesus says, be content in me. Be content in me. I want us to watch this this story, this video, and it's a brave story of facing anxiety and facing depression and turning to Jesus Christ in the midst of that. Again, this video will not imply, nor will I imply, that somehow a real mental health condition is somehow you can just slide through it if you have enough faith. We're not implying that. And I would encourage you after you watch this story. Uh, Kristen knows we're watching this. All the Bethany churches are watching this. If you see her later, give her. Give her a little side hug. Give her a high five. Just let's, let's try to honor her as, as, as her story is told. And then we'll take some time and, and pray about this. But I want you to particularly listen for the way that she responds by faith to what God was doing in her life in these moments. Let's listen.
0: Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Growing up, I really felt like I was loved and appreciated by those around me. I really experienced a great home life. We went on family vacations and everything seemed to be going fine. And then my junior year of high school, my dad had a massive stroke that resulted in his death. And the relationship I had with my dad was such a strong bond. It was even harder to lose someone like that at that age. Depression is a very lofty word. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But for me, depression uh, looked like loneliness, longing for something more. I'm an introvert, but this was a different type of feeling of, like, I just want to be alone and almost be caught and consumed by my emotion rather than expose myself to what was reality. Whatever was going through my mind, um, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, or I would never be, like, successful in life, or I should just think myself away to a place that it was really dark and maybe I belong in that place and finding that voice that was the truth was really difficult. As I rode the waves of depression and anxiety I felt comfort from God that I wanted other people to know about when they're facing difficult times in their life. There's a way out. God gives us that way out and we just have to learn to stop ourselves from getting in the way of that way and realize like this life was not meant to live alone. Um, it was meant to be in community. God's journeyed with me through so many different seasons and I have been given the opportunity to uh, walk alongside others in their seasons and that just fills my heart with so much joy and. I can remember being in a camp and just experiencing this kind of pure joy of like, I'm with these middle schoolers and I just had this impression upon my heart, like Jesus was talking to me saying, "Uh, don't you love this? Like, Why not join me in full-time ministry? That was a big pivotal moment in my life that I'll never forget. Today, that same experience of that joy that was felt in that moment Has really carried me through to where I am today in ministry and serving at Eastside, and just the kids that I get to hear laugh every Sunday, and even the crying like that's that too is part of God's mysterious being in this world, and I'm so blessed to be a part of that.
1: I love the line uh, where Jesus speaks to Kristen, and he says, don't you love this? And I love that she responded yes to that, that she said, I want to be a part of this. And for her, that was, I want to be in full-time ministry, that's great. I long for every member of our community to hear, don't you love this, from Jesus Christ. And I believe we can do that here. And if God had said, I want you to stay at Peter Kirk, that we would be pursuing that. Like I I think we would very much be doing that. But I've told many people this. One of my dreams for our move is that we will find such incredible opportunity to be creative in ministry and to do things that we haven't even dreamed of where we hear Jesus saying to us, don't you love this? Don't you love cooking meals for people in this kitchen? Don't you love seeing your kids run off to this classroom? Don't you love praying in this room and doing VBS and trains? Don't you love these things that we get to be a part of? Because they're what I've called you to. And Kristen, in her courage, has walked through these dark valleys that so many of us have of anxiety and depression, and God being faithful to her has allowed her to hear those great words, don't you love this? So I want to end with a time where we're going to just pray together and we'll pray over that sense of Jesus' great joy in each of our lives. Not because we are perfect or we never face seasons where we're anxious or we're worried for things, but because he has proclaimed this. And it's true. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I have called you to me. And there are things for us to do, church, that we have yet to discover and dream of that he awaits to give to us as such a great gift. So I'll invite uh, Megan back here to um, share some music with us as we pray. I invite you to remain where you are and just um, maybe put down your notes, put down whatever you may have in your hands. If you'd like to sit with just your hands turned up and open. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way. And you meant it. And you you meant it in a way that is so powerful and invitational. You mean us to live life with you. And as as Kristen's video showed us, as her story showed us, it is fraught with peril. There are going to be things that happen to us that we have no control over. Like the death of someone we love. Like losing a job. Like experiencing an injury like all these things and we pray God that you would meet us and meet the people we love in the places where they are hurting and that you would be our comforter yes very much so that you would make us well and whole but that you would continue to show your love to us by not simply leaving us where we are but calling us into something greater and that's that great line don't you love this Lord, for each person in this room, you have given us a, you've given them a calling. Something that they love, that they're excited about, that they can do in service to you. Their version of washing people's feet, their version of feeding the hungry. And maybe it's literally that. And so would you stir up in us an imagination, a creativity, a passion, a drive that can only become greater as we step into this new season in the life of our church where we can be a part of a church campus that is a tool for ministry. Don't you love this? Lord, I pray that each person gathered here today would have the chance to hear those words from you. Maybe it's as they're doing something they've done a million times, just holding the baby in the nursery. Don't you love this? Maybe it's teaching kids in preschool and you you hear them say the words of scripture or they say the words of Jesus and you go, don't you love this? Maybe it's running sound and there's this beautiful moment in worship and everything clicks and it's so good and you say, don't you love this? Lord, whatever calling you've given to each of us, we want to be faithful and steward it well. And we especially want to be faithful when to live into your calling demands some sacrifice from us. Moving around our schedules and making time for things, Lord, help us to be a generous and sacrificial people. Thank you for our dear sister Kristen and her witness. Continue to comfort her and her family as they do miss their dad every year, every day. And through their grief and through um, your goodness, draw them to yourself. Draw each of us closer to you in the week ahead. May we be content in you. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.